The Moon Metal. Chapter 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Moon Metal by Garrett P. Service. Read by Betsy Bush in Marquette, Michigan, June 2007. Chapter 4 The Wealth of the World. An electric light shot its penetrating rays into a gallery cut through virgin rock and running straight towards the heart of the Teton. The center of the gallery was occupied by a narrow railway, on which a few flat cars, propelled by electric power, passed to and fro. Black-skinned and silent workmen rode on the cars, both when they came laden with broken masses of rock from the farther end of the tunnel, and when they returned empty. Suddenly, to an eye situated a little way within the gallery, appeared at the entrance the dark face of Dr. Six, wearing its most discomposing smile, and a moment later the broader countenance of President Boone loomed in the electric glare beside the doctor's black framework of eyebrows and mustache. Behind them was grouped the other visiting financiers. "'This tunnel,' said Dr. Six, "'leads to the mine-head,' where the ore-bearing rock is blasted. As he spoke, a hollow roar issued from the depth of the mountain, followed in a short time by a gust of foul air. "'You probably will not care to go in there,' said the doctor, "'and, in fact, it is very uncomfortable. But we shall follow the next car-load to the smelter, and you can witness the reduction of the ore. Accordingly, when another car came rumbling out of the tunnel with its load of cracked rock, they all accompanied it into an adjoining apartment, where it was cast into a metallic chute, through which, they were informed, it reached the furnace. "'While it is melting,' explained Dr. Six, "'certain elements, the nature of which I must beg to keep secret, are mixed with the ore, causing chemical action, which results in the extraction of the metal. Now let me show you pure artemisium issuing from the furnace.' He led the visitors through two apartments into a third, one side of which was walled by the front of a furnace. From this projected two or three small spouts, and iridescent streams of molten metal fell from the spouts into earthen receptacles from which the blazing liquid was led, like flowing iron, into a system of moulds, where it was allowed to cool and harden. The financiers looked on wondering, and their astonishment grew when they were conducted into the rock-cut storerooms beneath, where they saw metallic ingots glowing like gigantic opals in the light which Dr. Six turned on. They were piled in rows along the walls as high as a man could reach. A very brief inspection sufficed to convince the visitors that Dr. Six was able to perform all that he promised. Although they had not penetrated the secret of his process of reducing the ore, yet they had seen the metal flowing from the furnace, and the piles of ingots proved conclusively that he had uttered no vain boast when he said he could give the world a new coinage. But President Boone, being himself a metallurgist, desired to inspect the mysterious ore a little more closely. Possibly he was thinking that if another mine was destined to be discovered, he might as well be the discoverer as anybody. Dr. Six attempted no concealment, but his smile became more than usually scornful as he stopped a laden car and invited the visitors to help themselves. "'I think,' he said, 
that I have struck the only load of this ore in the Teton, or possibly in this part of the world, but I don't know for certain. There may be plenty of it only waiting to be found. That, however, doesn't trouble me. The great point is that nobody except myself knows how to extract the metal. Mr. Boone closely examined the chunk of rock which he had taken from the car. Then he pulled a lens from his pocket with a deprecatory glance at Dr. Six. "'Oh, that's all right,' said the latter with a laugh, the first that these gentlemen had ever heard from his lips, and it almost made them shudder. "'Put it to every test. Examine it with the microscope, with fire, with electricity, with the spectroscope, in every way you can think of. I assure you it is worth your while.' Again Dr. Six uttered his freezing laugh, passing into the familiar smile which had now become an undisguised mock. "'Upon my word,' said Mr. Boone, taking his eye from the lens, "'I see no sign of any metal here.' "'Look at the green specks,' cried the doctor, snatching the specimen from the President's hand. "'That's it. That's artemisium. But it's of no use unless you can get it out and purify it, which is my secret.' For the third time Dr. Six laughed, and his merriment affected the visitors so disagreeably that they showed impatience to be gone. Immediately he changed his manner. "'Come into my office,' he said, with a return to the graciousness which had characterized him ever since the party started from New York. When they were all seated and the doctor had handed round a box of cigars, he resumed the conversation in his most amiable manner. "'You see, gentlemen,' he said, turning a piece of ore in his fingers, "'artemisium is like aluminum. It can only be obtained in the metallic form by a special process, while these greenish particles, which you may perhaps mistake for chrysolite, or some similar unisilicate, really contain the precious metal. They are not entirely composed of it. The process by which I separate out the metallic element, while the ore is passing through the furnace, is, in truth, quite simple, and its very simplicity guards my secret. Make your minds easy as to overproduction. A man is as likely to jump over the moon as to find me out. But, he continued, again changing his manner, we have had business enough for one day. Now for a little recreation." While speaking, the doctor pressed a button on his desk, and the room, which was illuminated by electric lamps, for there were no windows in the building, suddenly became dark, except part of one wall, where a broad area of light appeared. Dr. Six's voice had become very soothing when next he spoke. "'I am fond of amusing myself with the peculiar form of the magic lantern, which I invented some years ago.' and which I have never exhibited except for the entertainment of my friends. The pictures will appear upon the wall, the apparatus being concealed. He had hardly ceased speaking when the illuminated space seemed to melt away, leaving a great opening, through which the spectators looked, as if into another world on the opposite side of the wall. For a minute or two they could not clearly discern what was presented. Then gradually— the flitting scenes and figures became more distinct, until the lifelikeness of the spectacle absorbed their whole attention. Before them passed, in panoramic review, a sunny land, filled with brilliant-hued vegetation, and dotted with villages and cities, which were bright with light-colored buildings. People appeared moving through the scenes, as in a cinematograph exhibition, but with infinitely more semblance of reality. In fact, 
the pictures blending one into another seemed to be life itself yet it was not an earth-like scene the colors of the passing landscape were such as no man in the room had ever beheld and the people tall round-limbed with florid complexion golden hair and brilliant eyes and lips were indescribably beautiful and graceful in all their movements from the land the view passed out to sea and bright blue waves edged with creaming foam ran swiftly under the spectators eyes and occasionally driven before light winds appeared fleets of daintily shaped vessels which reminded the beholder by their flashing wings of the feigned ship of pearl after the ferry ships and breezy sea views came along curving line of coast brilliant with coral sands and indented by frequent bays along whose enchanting shores lay pleasant towns the landscapes behind them splendid with groves meadows and streams presently the shifting photographic tape or whatever the mechanism may have been appeared to have settled upon a chosen scene and there it rested a broad champagne reached away to distant sapphire mountains while the foreground was occupied by a magnificent house resembling a large country villa fronted with a garden shaded by bowers and festoons of huge brilliant flowers birds of radiant plumage flitted among the trees and blossoms and then appeared a company of gaily attired people including many young girls who joined hands and danced in a ring apparently with shouts of laughter while a group of musicians standing near thrummed and blew upon curiously shaped instruments suddenly the shadow of a dense cloud flitted across the scene whereupon the brilliant birds flew away with screams of terror which almost seemed to reach the ears of the onlookers through the wall an expression of horror came over the faces of the people the children broke from their merry circle and ran for protection to their elders the utmost confusing and whelming terror were evidenced for a moment then the ground split asunder and the house and the garden with all their living occupants were swallowed by an awful chasm which opened just where they had stood the great rent ran in a widening line across the sunlit landscape until it reached the horizon when the distant mountains crumbled clouds poured in from all sides at once and billows of flame burst through them as they veiled the scene but in another instant the commotion was over and the world whose curious spectacles had been enacted as if on the other side of a window seemed to retreat swiftly into space until at last emerging from a fleecy cloud it reappeared in the form of the full moon hanging in the sky but larger than is its wont with its dry ocean beds its keen spired peaks its ragged mountain ranges its gaping chasms its immense crater rings and tycho the chief of them all shooting ray-like streaks across the scarred face of the abandoned lunar globe the show was ended and dr six turning on only a partial illumination in the room rose slowly to his feet his tall form appearing strangely magnified in the gloom and invited his bewildered guests to accompany him to his house outside the mill where he said dinner awaited them as they emerged into daylight they acted like persons just aroused from an opiate dream end of chapter four 
This recording is in the public domain.